the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. In looks or salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Welcome to the Staff and Graph podcast. And joining me today is the one and only Pete Blackburn. Pete, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I feel like this is overdue. I feel like it's definitely overdue. Like, I wanted to have you on before I got hired in the NHL for the second time. And then literally, we were going to, I think we were planning on doing it like a week later. And then Jim Rutherford was like, ha, you're done on the podcast. So, yeah, like, I'm super happy we finally get to do this. Let's do it. All right. So, I feel like there's a lot that's happened since our last show. Namely, um, the Philadelphia Flyers actually decided to like do some stuff. So we're going to have a lot of fun today. Just generally speaking, we're going to talk about like TikTok and like what Pete does and everything. Um, But let's talk about the Flyers because like I've seen you kind of going on Twitter and you've kind of talked about them a bit. I literally just wrote a column about it. So like Chuck Fletcher gets fired, but like what is going on in Philly? It's a great question because the direction is well. I feel like they've they've got a direction now where Danny Briere is like, okay, yeah, we are going to rebuild uh, and not afraid to, to say it. And so, like it it feels like that should have been embraced quite quite some time ago. And you know, there are ways for them to to speed it up and get better. And they, I feel like they continually continuously fumbled those opportunities. And the big thing that I'll say about Chuck Fletcher and where I've like had my my criticisms of of him is that like he's repeatedly like shot himself in the foot and then blamed the gunshot wound for why he can't do anything about it. (laughs) And so like that, like every time he's like, well, we tried. It's that that excuse can only work so many times before you're like, okay. You don't get credit for trying; you get credit for doing, and they haven't been able to 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 sort of paint themselves out of a corner. Yeah, I feel like so. There's a part of me that feels like they they got Cutter Gauthier in the last draft, and I think he's going to be good for them. But it's like you you go back and you look, and if you just don't trade for Rasmus Ristolainen or Tony D'Angelo, then like you have enough money to sign Johnny Goudreau, like mm-hmm. who wanted to was, go there. Yeah, like what what is up with that? Because I feel like you're you're down there, like you're a little bit more in tune with like what happens in like Boston, Philly, Pittsburgh. Like I'm, I just kind of I'm in Toronto, which is I mean the oxygen gets taken up by the hockey team here, <laughs> like everywhere. Um, but like, what was the feeling when that went down? Because I remember like finding out about specifically the Ristolainen trade and just being like, pardon, like is that a joke? I, I was more stunned by the extension than the trade itself. Like the the extent the, the extension is almost more unforgivable because you you gave up what you did to get him in a trade, and you saw how he played for you, and then you were like, "Hell yes, five more years of this at a <laughs> at a cost prohibitive price that took you out of the running for a guy like Johnny Gaudreau." 
So like it's just the mistakes that keep compounding and carrying over from year to year. And again, like it's a situation where because he those mistakes do keep compounding, it's it's leading to to further mistakes. And, and then he's like, oh, well, I I tried and I did my best. So, did you really though? Did you? I don't think so. Did you? Because then you said, you know what we're going to do is we're going to sign Tony D'Angelo and we're going to trade for him. So we're going to do both of those things. When everyone, I feel like at the draft, like we were all sitting there at the Bell Center and we were expecting like James Van Riemsdyk to be moved and Philly was kind of going to start this rebuild. Uh, the Sean Couturier injury had kind of been a thing and obviously like he still hasn't played. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, Philadelphia has acquired Tony D'Angelo. And there was just like this audible gasp in the crowd because everybody was like, what are you doing? Like, Yeah, the, du- the direction is just like, very, <laughs> it seems very rudderless. And then like, even like not trading JVR at the deadline, like how does that happen? And I know that he said that there was, there were no offers for him or whatever. Even if you don't get offers, can't like aggressively shop and take whatever you can because he's not, like, even if it's like a seventh, you trade him for a seventh round pick. You're getting the seventh That's- round pick for it for him and you're making your team worse which improves your chances at the the lottery which you've got a generational talent in the lottery it's it doesn't make any sense to hold on to a jvr even like a kevin hayes if you want to say like you if you can get rid of those guys and get what you can for them do it well yeah like and then you just look at it it's it's akin to i was talking to somebody about that jvr thing it's like saying i need to go trade my money for bread Right. I, I'm going to exchange some money for some bread, but I'm not going to go to the grocery store. OK, well, then how are you going to like, did, did you even try then at that point? Like just because nobody's going to show up with bread at your door. Right. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you can't go and find bread. So I was just like, I don't know. What do you feel like Philly? Like, where do they go from here? What is because Phil- Philadelphia Flyers fans like they Philadelphia sports fans, generally speaking, have a bad rep. And I feel like it's well-earned. Like, it is. But Flyers fans have been so patient because this has just been rudderless forever. Like, mm-hmm. literally forever. Where, what do these poor people have to look forward to? <laughs> uh, I can't I can't speak too lowly of, of uh, Philadelphia sports fans because I feel like there's, like, a soul connection between Boston and Philly and just in terms of the absolute trash that lives here and... <laughs> How and how uh, and how uh, relentless and unforgiving we are. Um, so, like, I I'm with my Philadelphia people, but I, I the direction. I mean, they've got they've got pieces. It's not like there's nothing there. And if they had gotten a Johnny Gaudreau or something like that, like I feel like the the outlook would be a lot more positive. But I don't know. I I think that you kind of have to. You have to take an honest evaluation of where you're at, and they're not a competitive team. They're not a good team, and you have to look at your competitive window and, like, is it in the next three years? I don't think so, given, like, what they have on that team, unless there's a real a real drastic and effective, emphatic, effective rebuilding on the fly, which is extremely hard to do. I don't think they're a competitive team in, like, the next three three years. Right, so that at that point, you, Sean Couturier still absolutely has value. So you trade him and you get 
whatever boatload you get back. Travis Konechny will get you something for sure. But then like, okay, so you're keeping guys like Joel Farabee, a, obviously keep Cutter Gauthier. But it's like, okay, so now let's move to Ivan Provorov because you can't trade Rasmus Ristolainen. That ship has firmly sailed. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivan Provorov. I feel like he's overpaid, but like he's still a good defenseman. But can you trade him now given what everybody knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the talent is is going to win out. Like we've seen it so many times in this league. It's and like it's, you know, I have my feelings on it, but like it's not like an unforgivable thing, you know. Right. Like it, it's not going to push him out of the league or whatever. But uh, I, I think the teams will be willing to. I mean, look at Tony D'Angelo. Like he had <laughs> stuff attached to him too, and I, and teams are have given him a second chance and and taken like the talent will always win out. It for better or for worse. And so, um, you know, I don't know what the market is. I, I think that you can learn a lot from what happened with, with Jacob Chikrin in terms of overplaying your hand. If you're trying to trade a guy who is young, oh talented, has control, like that seems like a position of power, but you can overextend your hand and, and, and screw yourself in the long run too. So, uh, you know, I would, that would be a cautionary tale if I was the flyers looking to trade, Ivan Provorov, but I, I think that they certainly can do it if they want to. Interesting. All right. Well, Philly fans, like we both are very sorry, but you know what? You have the Eagles. So, I mean, I can't feel too terribly bad because at least your city has won a championship in the last decade. Speaking of cities that have won championships, Pete, where do you live? I live in Boston, Massachusetts, one of the best cities in the world. Home of the sitcom Cheers, if you ever heard of it. <laughs> so has has the city of Boston had any championship parades lately? Or, or are you just kind of, you know, bored and there's not really anything to do? There's no good sports teams. You haven't had any, like, generational talents. Define lately because based on our own standards, the answer there is actually no. <laughs> we haven't had one lately. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. You're so – if it's not like if it's not every two or three years, it's too long it's here. So uh, we are hungry, we are starved, and we've got a pretty good chance this year in two sports. So I'm um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed. Okay, so who's got the better chance, the Bruins or the Celtics? So I don't watch like a ton of NBA, and so I can't I can't say for certain. But like I, this, everybody's telling me that the Celtics have a great team, even though they've lost a little bit of speed, and obviously they made the NBA Finals last year. I I think they could do it. Uh, I mean, they've got the makings of a team that that, based off of like what I've seen from uh, a, an arm's length, like they've got the makings of a team that has the pieces to win a title. So uh, I think they could do it. I think that they need a better uh, a need a better Finals performance from from Jason Tatum if it's going to happen. Yeah, he's so entertaining, but it's like, it's kind of wild to me. Like the city of Boston, when, if you look at the four major teams there, right? The Patriots had Tom Brady, who's the, <laughs> arguably the greatest quarterback. Not of arguably, all. not arguably. Or, uh, sorry, the arguably the greatest football player ever. That's mm-hmm. what I meant to say. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. I think he's the greatest football player of all time as well. He's also super hot. <laughs> so whatever. But then you have like Big Poppy with the Red Sox. And like the Red Sox were just like, they finally cracked that curse. Mm-hmm. Right. So then they won. Then with the Bruins, 
I mean, the Bruins have mastered, I don't even know how, but like they they haven't been bad basically like since I've been able to remember hockey. Like you think about it and it's like, they're good, they're good. Okay, Patrice Bergeron's getting old. is getting old. What are they going to do? Oh, let's just draft Charlie McAvoy and David Pasternak. And like off we go. And then you look at the Celtics and, and they've won relatively recently speaking and also have like Jason Tatum, who's one of the best players in the league. Like what's it like to just be continuously spoiled like this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's really nice. And, uh, there's, it seems like there's always a team, like there's always a team that's, that's good. And it certainly helps that the Patriots were dominant for like 20 straight years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, like in Toronto, I assume that like the Leafs are always going to be number one, like they're always going to be the number one team regardless of how good they are, like they're always going to demand attention and that's never going to change. Yeah. Here, <laughs> here, like the power structure legitimately and heavily shifts based on wow. who's good. So there is a lot of pressure here for teams to, to be good and be competitive because otherwise you kind of just become irrelevant. And like, it's, it's funny because like that's exactly how I got into hockey. I grew up as a uh, like a, a Red Sox fan first and I'm, I was like a base diehard baseball fan for like the first 15 years of my life or something. And the Bruins like like I, I watched the Bruins when it was like Joe Thornton, Sergei Samsonov, like those are the teams that I fell in love with when those guys were were rookies and just entering the league. Like I, that's those are my first like m- memories of rooting for the Bruins and watching the Bruins. And they were always on in my household, but I didn't really become like a diehard hockey fan until I got to like middle school and early high school and the Bruins were awful. They were so bad and <laughs> the get in price at the garden, especially if you were a student, like a young person was like $8. And so I would go to games like all the time, two or three times a week. And that's just how I ended up falling in love with it because like it's so much better in person. And that's just like, I was like, I love this and I'm, I'm going to like invest a ton of time and energy into understanding the sport and following it. And that's how I got into hockey is because the Bruins were so bad that they became irrelevant in Boston that I was able to get in for extremely cheap. And it made me fall in love with the team, even though they sucked. But that's like such a great argument for hockey being accessible because like in Boston, I think this is actually like, kind of a cool example like the person who owns the patriots is not the same as the person who owns the bruins is not the same as the person who owns the red Sox, right whereas in a city like toronto the leafs raptors marley's and toronto fc and the argos which like are completely irrelevant are all owned by the same guy Mm -hmm. so it's almost like he's making money no matter what so he doesn't care per se now he's kind of been on record saying all he wants is a stanley cup but like, I feel like maybe that that competition for relevancy is more pronounced in a city like Boston, where you actually have owners competing, as opposed to in Toronto, where it's just like the same guy who makes money no matter what. But then you talk about like, I can get in and watch the Bruins for $8. Mm-hmm. The last time the Leafs tickets were $8, like my grandfather was in his 30s, probably. Yeah, right? and, <laughs> you can, and you, like you can see like the, like when they play in Buffalo, like Buffalo is literally just packed with Leafs fans because they're like it's more it's cheaper to, to travel to Buffalo and go to a Sabres game and watch the Leafs than go in Toronto. And like 
that's a bummer. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it doesn't seem like it's prohibiting a lot of people from being Maple Leafs fans, but like when you have got a family or whatever, and you're like a, a middle to lower class family and you're trying to go to a Leafs game, good luck. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of a bummer. We did the math uh, last year. So um, for four tickets to the Leafs Tampa um, playoff game um, would have been about $5,000 like in the lower bowl, I could fly to Tampa with three friends, stay in a hotel, go to the game, eat and drink and everything and come home for half of that. That's wild. (laughs) It's not surprising, but it's wild. Like I could have flown to Tampa and gone to the game and everything. And it would have been half the price. It's like, it's just straight up not accessible. What are tickets to the Bruins now? Like, I mean, they're crazy now. They're yeah. crazy now. Yeah. Like, um, I tried to. I was looking at tickets to go to uh, the the Bruins Rangers game right after the trade deadline. It was a Saturday afternoon. Uh, like, pretty, pretty. Those those always go for a little bit more because it's like middle of the afternoon and on a Saturday, and people are like, "All right, we'll make a day out of it." And the tickets usually spike a little bit after the trade deadline. The get in price, not like not. Not just like like a good seat. The get-in price was over five hundred dollars per ticket. <laughs> yeah, what? over five hundred dollars per ticket. So we were looking, and we were like, if it slips to like two hundred bucks for a balcony, like we'll 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 go. And even that, like we were gonna pay two hundred dollars for a regular season game per ticket. And so that 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 goes to show you how expensive the tickets are now. That like that's acceptable. Yeah, I mean, like we have that. That's acceptable right and now. unavailable. <laughs> like, yeah, it was unavailable to do that. Yeah, I, like I remember last year um, for one of the playoff games, like the get into the building price was twelve hundred dollars. I'm like, yeah. these are you're talking about obstructed seats. Like I, I'm paying twelve hundred dollars to not see a quarter of the game. Like that's to me, like you're not even building up fans at that point. But like, okay, so. I want to talk about another team. Um, first of all, Pete's wearing a Tage Thompson shirt, and like oh, I, yeah. Tage Thompson's awesome. He's one of my favorite players to watch. It's such He's a the great only tall shirt. person I respect. <laughs> only tall person Pete likes. But okay, so you for Bally, mm-hmm. you explain a little bit of what you do because this is going to tie into the next team I want to talk about. Okay, yeah. So I, I mean, I I do like a little bit of writing for the website. Um, I, it's like mostly TV video stuff. Um, like I I do hits for uh like stadium which is an offshoot of bally and they they run across all the bally networks um i do stuff for them i do stuff for some of the regional networks and then i do like prepackaged video stuff that airs on the website and on digital platforms and then like sometimes airs on those uh those regional networks for bally yeah so like pete did this thing where he went to the stadium series (laughs) interviewed these these kids and all they did was what they made fun of me for being short, which I was taller than them. They were like seven years old at most, but I was taller than all of them. And they decided to throw stones at a glass house. And uh, to my credit, I handled it very well and very professionally. You were great. So in doing you, you get to do cool things. Like you get to travel and, and do things like the stadium series. And one of the cooler things is you've been to Mullet Arena mm-hmm. in Arizona. I have heard absolutely fantastic things. Do I think it's ridiculous that they're playing there in the first place? Yes, it absolutely is. But Kate, tell me what it's like to be in there because like Arizona's awful this year, but their home record is pretty good. 
Yeah. It, so that was that was one hell of an experience. And that was like my idea. Like I pitched that to work because I was like, for as embarrassing as this is, it's maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity to be like, I'm going to go watch uh, an NHL team open up and play its first game at a building that holds like 5,000 people. And I just wanted to be there and be part of the experience and kind of see what it was all about. And it was a party. Like it was a good time. It was a very good time. It helped that it was a Friday night and oh. there are a lot of ASU kids and uh, like it was just a really, really fun time. And yeah, like you have to preempt it with saying like this probably shouldn't be happening and it's pretty embarrassing for the league. But I had a blast. <laughs> like it was so much fun. So like how many and this is what I wonder kind of is okay so you talk about the experience and it's fantastic and i've seen videos and they look fantastic and and obviously having asu students there is a big help because we all know what college students are like and there's not a lot of sobriety happening there yeah or just general decorum like it's it's fun it's a party i mean somebody got their finger bitten off (laughs) at one of those games whoa yeah you do wait you didn't hear this you didn't see that video when the bruins played at mullet there was a gigantic brawl in the stands. Like I, the video that I tweeted w- went like super viral. And then after it came, like it was like a, a woman got punched in the face oh. by like a, by a man so much taller than her and like immediately popped up and like was doing her hair <laughs> right afterwards. What? It was an incredible video. Like there was a, like a cop that dove over three, three rows of seats. Like, it's an insane video. And then it came out afterwards that like during that fight, a guy literally got like the tip of his finger bitten off. So that's the kind of stuff that goes on at Mullet arena. So nice. Hell yeah. Okay. But like, okay. So I wonder you have all these students, right? And I mean, you've probably been to a college football game. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a wild atmosphere because of that student section. Do you think that potentially, by Arizona playing at Mullet Arena the next couple of years, that they might be able to build up with the younger fan base because yeah. they could make it an attractive place for students to come. And even after they go to Tempe, like maybe you make a night out of it because now you're a Coyotes fan. Like, do you see that happening where maybe they're transforming some students into Coyotes fans that could be sustainable long term? Yeah, I, I do think so because I th- you look you look at Arizona and Tempe like it's a big transplant city and I think a big part of that is because of ASU and when you look at the crowds at at Mold Arena there are a lot of and this was one of the coolest things from my experience when I went there there was like a like that student section there were jerseys from all across the league like it oh, was cool. the, it was a wild thing that I hadn't seen before where it's just like student section, obviously fans, uh, hockey fans of uh, from all over from all teams. And they're all just like it's a shared experience in that student section. And I think that's super cool. And the biggest thing, like it goes back to me, me becoming a diehard hockey fan because I had accessibility to go to live NHL games, even if the team was bad. I saw like I saw the, the play, I saw the speed and like it made me fall in love with it. And so if you've got a lot of uh, students who are getting accessible tickets, which they are, they have student pricing for that student section at, at, at mullet, they're getting them in the building. And even if they're already hockey fans, there's a chance that because they're getting in the building and because they're like developing a connection with the coyotes, maybe they switch allegiances. And if they stay in Arizona 
after going to ASU and they've had good experiences with the Coyotes, who's to say that they're not going to stay Coyotes fans? Yeah, and I, I mean, you talk about it and, and it's not like Coyote season tickets are inaccessible either. Like you, if you become a Coyotes fan, let's say like you you switch allegiances, like I, I could probably get front row Arizona Coyotes season seeds for like one twentieth, like oh, for yeah. basically five percent of the price of Leaf season tickets, if you can even get them. And so I think, yeah, like it's it kind of seems like it's a cool opportunity. Like what what were people like when you interviewed them there? Did you interview drunk students? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was so much fun. It was. Uh, everybody was super nice. Everybody was super excited. I'm sure that it helped that again. It was a Friday night, but it also was the the home opener. Like there was a lot of energy and. The, the thing is, like, regardless of how embarrassing it is that it's a 5,000-seat stadium, if you fill a 5,000-seat venue, the, the atmosphere is going to be so much better than a 5,000 5, people in an NHL arena. Like, it's going to be a, a lot more quiet in a bigger arena. You're going to see all the empty seats. It's just going to, like, optically and atmosphere-wise, it's not going to be the same. So filling up the 5,000-seat venue – it was pretty loud. It was pretty hydrated and uh, it was a good time. So what you're saying is there were not dehydrated people there. No. Well, maybe, no. <laughs> I mean, maybe the next morning, but not, not at, at the game. Fair enough. All right. Let's, let's talk about something real fun. TikTok. <laughs> Debatable. Debatable for me, at least. Oh, it's debatable for me too. I have like forayed into this recently. And I think like you warned me that this was going to be a, yeah. a wild experience. It's scary. <laughs> I think it's like the first experience that I've had with like the internet and social media where I've been like, I don't know if I want to do this. This is this is terrifying. But, and that's like how I know that I'm getting old now is that like the, the youth scare me. The Utes, yep, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, you know, I had somebody, and I, I like texted this to you just before we recorded. Like, somebody commented on a video about contract negotiations that I made, talking and asked me if I sell jarred farts. Like, in what other app would that even be a thing? Uh, OnlyFans is the only one that I can think of. Like, that's got to oh, be geez. the only one. But like, though the. The brazenness and boldness of like publicly commenting that on on a public video where other people can see your comments, like not even a DM to be no. like, and like said it so confidently that like jar farts, like those, like that's a thing, that's a term that exists, and I I'm allowed to throw this around publicly. Yes, no, <laughs> like it's it's oof. wild. What is what has been your most wild? like TikTok experience? Um, uh, it's gotta be, so I, I, I posted a video um, during fantasy football season about how I lost one of my matchups. And it was, I play in a league that's really stupid and we all know that it's stupid, but like if you have a kicker that misses an extra point, it's minus 50 points what? for that week's matchup. Yeah. So like it's, it's stupid. And like, it's, if you're trying to like prove that, you're the smartest fantasy football person or whatever. Like it's probably not the league for you because it's obviously like um, it's just like a novelty thing that like makes us so excited. And who was that kicker that like missed like eight extra points this year then? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I had Matt Gay. Matt Gay was my kicker and 
he didn't miss an extra point all year long until my my playoff matchup, and he was the only guy left that I had going in that matchup. And I I played him just out of like principle because I could have pulled him from the lineup and I could have paid like the league fine. I think it's like fifty dollars or something to to sit your kicker, and I would have won my matchup. I would have moved on and maybe like made the the final or whatever. I decided to play him because I was like, I'm putting faith in my guy. He missed an extra point that night, obviously, and I lost my matchup. And so I posted like um, a video that was recapping the whole situation. And the I just got absolutely torched by like all these like fantasy football nerds in the comments. <laughs> they were like, you, you idiot. What's wrong with you? Like, what do you have to gain from this? Blah, blah. Like, get a load of this moron. And I was like, I know that it was a stupid thing to do, but I did it like for the content and I did it for the entertainment and for the spirit of our league. And so like, I, it got like close to a mil. I want to say like close, to, like there was like a million or like 500,000 or something views on, on TikTok and like thousands of comments of people just dumping all over me. And that was tough to sit through. It was tough. <laughs> so you play in a league that, Basically, if your kicker misses an extra point, you lose that week. Like you're done. Yes, it's the best because because (laughs) if you watch Red Zone or you watch any sort of football on Sundays, and a guy misses an extra point, knowing that somebody in our league might may have that guy, we all like whip out our phones or our computers and we immediately run and we're like talking talking. I don't know if I can swear. Yeah, you can. We're talking to each other, like just absolutely hammering um, the person who, who, like the guy who owns like the kicker that missed the extra point. Like it is the most like fun guys being dudes league that I've ever played in. And it's amazing. This is okay. So this league is called guys being dudes. It's uh, yeah, it's basically (laughs) that. Yeah. This guy's being dudes. Nice. You're just getting mercilessly dunked on by like some dude who probably uses an algorithm to make his fantasy. Yeah, right. Who has like like spreadsheets and like buys like the 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 preseason draft rankings and like is flipping pages during their draft and like we're just out here like just having fun and loving razzing on each other when a guy misses an extra point and we're fine with it. We love it. But TikTok did not appreciate the stupidity that went into my roster management that week. Oh my God. I actually, I would have, I feel like I saw that TikTok video, but I just didn't look at the comments and now I might have to just. There's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, like I don't do fantasy sports at all, but my dad's been in this hockey pool for like 40 years and it's it's wild so it's an underground pool um and it's just points so you draft players like you have a certain amount of forwards a certain amount of defensemen um that you draft and it's points and then you draft a team for goaltending and basically what happens is you get one point for every point whether it's a goal or an assist and then let's say you have carolina for goaltending which we have this year Mm -hmm. every goal that carolina lets in is just like minus one off of your point total okay there's no trades there's no waivers. Your team is your team. So you have to account for like injuries and stuff like that. Wow. So, okay. So my dad's finished in the money. I've been helping him for years. There's only the one year I was in New Jersey. I didn't help him. But like this year, because of like the timing of like me in Vancouver, I actually got to go to the draft. And like, I was sitting there with my computer, with the model up and running and, <laughs> and like, da, 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 da. <laughs> so people are sitting there like, where did you get that? And I was like, I made it. And they're like, that is oh, wild. 
And meanwhile, they have like they're flipping through like Dober I, prospects or like whatever, and I've got just like this full thing happening on the computer, and they're like, "What the heck?" When you said like he's been in this for forty years, like all I can imagine is just like somebody in that league or that pool just has stacks and stacks and stacks of paper in their basement, ta- like going back years, tallying all the points and like the goals and stuff, and. That's just going to get found and people are going to be like, what is this? What are you doing? Like, what <laughs> is this thing that goes back to like 1970? And why was somebody manually tracking all of the goals scored by Joe Schmo on the Flyers in 1972? Oh, it 100% happened. And then it's like we um, we're like in like the the ninth round or whatever. And like the three of us are sitting there, and I'm like, take Eric Carlson, take Eric Carlson, take this year? Eric Carlson, right? And and like my dad's buddy's like, no, 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 he's he's too hurt or whatever. I'm like, just tr- just trust me, okay? Just trust me. So he's like, all right, fine. You take Eric Carlson, and now like the guy in our little group chat is like, I am never not listening to you again, because <laughs> <laughs> we have yeah. Eric Carlson and Tage Thompson. <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. And we got Tage Thompson in the fifth round. People are not happy about Damn. that. Damn. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Tage last year, I mean, that's 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 oversight because Tage last year, we knew it was coming. We knew yeah, it was coming. whereas, like, you have people that took, like, obviously McDavid goes first overall, like, all the time. Yeah, of course. Um, but then, like, somebody took Andre Kuzmenko, who's having, a, like, a fantastic year, but, like, he's a rookie with, like, no NHL experience. They took him in the third round. And I was like, how are you taking that over – like established somebody gotta like be a biased Thompson. pick gotta be a biased pick it was i later found out that this guy actually has like a relation to the canucks and i was like oh boy so i don't know like that's my only like foray into fantasy but that's basically like you show up you pick your team and then it's just like that's it for the year i don't i don't mind that one because you don't there's no upkeep you just like set yeah. it and forget it and and whatever happens happens like i i can't do fantasy hockey just because no it's it's too much upkeep like i'm too like too in the weeds there already like i don't want to commit to doing another thing that like on top of like writing watching all that and then like betting too like betting is a sort of like replaced fantasy for me in terms yeah. of like what i where i like obviously put my money but also like where i spread my attention around to like on any given night yeah, I'm looking at things like I instead of um, fantasy hockey now, it's like, OK, like now I've built a, a model that like predicts like shots on goal. Um, and so like that's that's where the bulk of like my my attention gets paid to, at least like right now, right with writing similar to you and, and podcasting and whatever. But I think the problem we have in Canada is like every single commercial on TSN and Sportsnet is a betting commercial. It just like gets rammed down your throat. Not just in Canada, trust me. It's in the U.S. too, and I feel like yeah. it's still like c- cigarette commercials are obviously not allowed anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like gambling is just as much of a vice. Like you can be addicted to gambling, and obviously, like we've yeah. seen, oh, yeah. that's why they say like bet responsibly and stuff. But like, I think there's a reason why you're not allowed to advertise cigarettes, and like you there aren't as many alcohol commercials as there used to be and i feel like we're gonna get to a point like i'm already sick of the gambling commercials but i feel like we're gonna get to a point where people are gonna realize like hey we probably need to taper back on this because like this is not safe 
Yeah, it's it's not just the the like the commercials either. Like, there's I, I feel like there's got to be more regulations in terms of like who's allowed to promote picks and stuff. Yeah, because uh, anybody now like can be, uh, you know, a, a person who pushes gambling advice and like I I've seen like I've seen a lot of people that are just like seemingly not qualified to be giving gambling advice to like, especially when it comes to hockey where you need to know what you're doing. You need to know what you're doing. And also like, it's, it's still like somewhat of a a niche sport where like, if like there's a, a degenerate gambler may not know and not, not even say degenerate, but like an active gambler may not know a ton about hockey, but they're going to bet on it because there's action that night. And they'll just take like anybody's advice that's in the space who like they assume knows more than them. And and like, I, I just think that like there needs to be more care taken with like who should be allowed to push that stuff. And like, even like that, that's coming from me who like three, four years ago, I was sort of new to that space and I was figuring it out. And I was like, I was asked to give picks and stuff and and like I did it because it was part of my job but like I felt uncomfortable because I was like I'm not not like fully understanding of like this entire space and I don't love being like responsible for and I know that like people are ultimately responsible for whether they bet their own money or not at the end of the day like I'm not making them take my advice I'm not making them spend their own money on my picks but there is a sense of like guilt or responsibility when it comes to gambling and giving out picks. And well, if you look at like Dom Chishin, right? He used to do like he is, I would say in hockey, Dom is the most qualified to give gambling advice because of his right, track it's record. Predict, it's predictive modeling. And like, it's, you know, it's based on numbers and that's what, what the league does. Like they don't, I mean, that's what Vegas yeah. does. They don't go by on like vibes. They yeah. go strictly based on math and numbers and, and, and predictive models and stuff like that. So like, yeah, I would trust Dom. And, and even he was getting he, like super attacked because like yeah. people are like, Oh, you're only right. Like X amount of times. And I'm like, this man made enough money that he bought himself a Tesla. Like, I think he knows what he's doing. And also like, it's, like even even like in Vegas and stuff for like the the whatever like even the best people that that push picks it's like around like fifty something percent like they're where they're right. It's just about identifying where the value is. Like they're not going to get every pick right. It's just whether yeah. or not you're you stay in plus money based on the value of the picks. Yeah, and I think like when Dom said that people were attacking him, I'm like, okay, wow, like that's. That's crazy yeah. because like he's doing this and like he doesn't really have anything to gain. Like he's going to he's going to make money whether he posts his picks or not. And so right. for me it's like you <clears throat> it's important and when people ask me for like gambling advice cuz they know I have models, I tell them I'm like you need to do your own research. Like I can say this is what I'm looking at, but that doesn't mean blindly take it. Like you need right. to it's similar to the stock market. You can go follow some Discord and they can say like, oh, I'm taking this. But if you're not paying attention to what you're doing, congratulations, you're going to lose all your money, right? And I feel like stock options, are it's basically gambling. And you're not going to go foray into the stock market without doing research, or at least you shouldn't. Yeah, right, you You should. You probably shouldn't do that with hockey betting or like betting of any kind. I had somebody be like, oh, like I'm betting on um, baseball. And I'm like, do you even know like, 
how to do that. And they're like, well, I know what the money line is. I'm like, okay, don't do that. It's also, it's also tough too, because like, I think hockey is one of the toughest sports to bet just based off of the randomness. And like, there's certainly more randomness in hockey than I think any other sport or any other of the, like the major sports. So it's very difficult to bet. And like, I think a lot of, a lot of the people that are successful at it are like, they're really good at identifying either like props, whether it's shot props or like, um, you know, like saves and stuff like that, like individual minor things that are not going to be like necessarily like a mainstream bet or like a, like a side bet or a total bet. Like it's, it's a lot of like identifying trends of certain teams versus like this team is better than this team because like on any given night, any team can beat any team. Right. And that's where it works. Finding value, right. Where it's like, okay, like that time when Arizona was like, plus they were playing the Leafs and they were like plus 400 on the money line. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll take that because I have seen the Leafs play my whole life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Right. If any team can puke all over themselves and embarrass themselves uh, in a high leverage situation, it's going to be the the Maple Leafs. But yeah, like that's the thing, you know, I can obviously at this point, I've been doing it long enough that like I will play any team that has like plus 400 odds. Me too. Because like, like, yeah, I know that the Coyotes are worse than the Maple Leafs, but it's a one out of 82. Anything can happen in a regular season game. And if you're going to get that kind of value on any side, I'm going to take it 100% of the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think because it's not like the NBA where it's like you have a specific amount of guys on the floor for like a long time. Like you have guys who play three quarters of the game. The best defenseman in the league maybe play half the game and that's like maybe mm-hmm. right most guys are playing like 25 minutes so that's not even half the game and then you look at a guy like mcdavid and he's not even playing like he's playing like a third of the game maybe just over a third and so it's not like the opportunity to have the impact on the game for a hockey player is not the same as it is for somebody like joel mb let's say or jason tatum because they're just not getting the same amount of um puck touches or ice time like i just think it's it's just so much I don't know. Yeah. And like, there's like one bad bounce or one unfortunate bounce in a hockey game changes the entire game and can be the difference in the entire game. I I think that like with like a million possessions in in basketball, the, the opportunity for like one bad bounce to ruin a team is unlikely. It's that's more of a game of runs. And like, I feel like that's where, good teams really separate themselves. And like in basketball, I would say that like the, the best team wins a lot more than in hockey because it is a game of runs. Right. Like this year, Boston, the Bruins are just so far and away the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a reason like they're plus 400 or whatever to win the cup because like hockey is just so much different. Whereas if a team was running away with the NBA the way that the Bruins are running away with the NHL, they would probably be like minus 200, yeah. minus 250 to, mm-hmm. to win the title right now. And so it's just one of those things where I feel like gambling and hockey is so relatively new, like FanDuel and like DraftKings, like they're trying to figure out what they can and can't allow. Like for the longest time in Ontario, you couldn't even do same game parlays because people were figuring it out and like how to do it. And, and FanDuel didn't like that. And I'm like, okay, well, like you can't just because 
people are figuring out how to use your app, like that's a good thing. And in the long run, you are going to make money. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I think not only gambling companies are trying to figure it out, but people are trying to figure it out too. And kind of have this like mishmash of, of stuff that is or isn't allowed. And it's just like, everybody just calm down. Like you don't, don't shove it down people's throats or like, don't pretend to be like some guru I'm, handicapper. Yeah, no. And now I'm, I think like the thing that I'm most interested about now moving forward is like live betting because, yeah. and especially if like arenas promote it, because I I've heard, I haven't come across it, but like, I know that um, there are certain teams that have um, partnerships with, with like MGM and, and, you know, certain sports books or whatever. And so like, I wonder what the experience is going to be like when you're at a game and they're like, well, you can live bet this game here. Are the Like, are they going to put it on a jumbotron? Are they going to give like, so, like specialty in-game boosts and, and stuff like that? Like, gambling just became legal in Massachusetts like last week. So it's still very new to me in terms of how it's approached from like a state level. And I have a lot of interest in in, like monitoring how that kind of develops. That's going to be fun. I feel like, yeah, like it's been legalized in Ontario for quite a few months now. Okay. Uh, I think like a year, maybe. Um, Obviously, my favorite thing, my favorite thing about Boston is that uh, like DraftKings is local and like uh, barstool is local obviously and like they're like the commercials are really like geared towards like hey bet local DraftKings is a local brand like bet with us like it's like farm to table and it's like acting (laughs) it's acting like it's that instead of um like just like gambling yeah gambling and everybody wasn't just using offshore sites for like the last 15 20 years like i i just spent like five years betting on a website that has .ag, you really think that I care about betting locally? No. As long as it functions and I get my money, that's what I care about. I don't care yeah. if it's buying or betting local. No, and like I, we had Bet365 and like now Bet365 in Ontario, they have an Ontario version and then like a rest of Canada version. It's really dumb because like if I'm, I'm an Ontario resident and if I'm traveling to like bc or nova scotia like i can't bet because then i'm not in ontario and i'm like are you kidding me like it's just it's so there's just so many more hoops to jump through now and it's just such a pain in the butt um but what are you let's let's finish up with some fun what are you um what's your favorite storyline been from this hockey season and what are you most looking forward to come the playoffs i mean my favorite storyline like biased but the Bruins just being like the best team in, like in the history of the league when nobody saw it coming has been very fun for me to follow uh, personally. But I mean, I, I, outside of that, I, I just, I genuinely think that it's like the Eastern conference arms race the fact that like the probably like the five best teams, I guess if you, if you exclude Colorado with like their health, health issues, like the five best teams in the, in the league are all in the Eastern conference and they all loaded up at the deadline that was super super cool like the deadline itself was chef's kiss in my mind where it was like a week of action and we had time to process and talk about all of the big deals and it wasn't all like in a two-hour span on the friday just made my heart sing um outside of that like it i just think like the the eastern conference race has been unbelievable and then 
I don't know, like Tage Thompson being uh, like the god and a human highlight reel. Uh, uh, Connor McDavid having like probably like the best season of a generation is very cool as well. Um, Does he get 150 points? I'm not going to bet against him. Not going to bet against him hitting 70 goals either when he when he's like dumping two, three in a night. So uh, it's I, I said it like last week. It, um, like there are the the players from like a previous generation. I guess it's a similar generation with like Gretzky and Lemieux, where you look at their 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 numbers on a page on their hockey reference page, and you're like, how the hell did this happen? When you watch like the, the hockey in its current state, and you're like, how the hell did this guy score like 70 goals and 160 <laughs> points in 70 games. And then you, you watch the goaltending. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you like, look at, at just how good those guys were too. But like you're, you look at it and you're like, even the best players of, of this current era, like the best goal scorer in the history of the league, Alexander Ovechkin has only touched 65 once. And so like to see McDavid doing what he's doing now gives me like a, a like a serious level of appreciation knowing that like in three, four, five, ten years, I'm gonna look at at this season and be like, God damn, look what that guy did. So it's it's a rare case of, of that being of that being the case where you're like, holy, this jumps off a page. As, even by like McDavid standards, where obviously he's had great years in the past, but this one in particular is going to stand uh, stand out from even from those. I think it's so funny that everyone was like, oh, he can't score goals. And then he's like, you know what? Right. I'm going to score yeah. 70. Actually. I think that's been the most impressive thing is that like Connor McDavid over the off season was like, I can get better. I can get better at scoring. I'm going to improve that. I'm going to work on my finishing ability and my ability to score. And like, number one, it's impressive that one, he was even able to do that because he was already the best player in the world. But yeah. number two, having the mentality to be like, Oh, I'm the best player in the world, but I'm not good enough for my, by my own standards. So I'm going to get better. And like you hear it with guys like Jordan and um, Crosby, Crosby, and even like you know Kobe, where it was like th they're literally just built different. They're built different. They think different, and nothing's ever good enough. Whereas like if I was Connor McDavid. I guarantee you last summer, I would not have spent a whole lot of time being like, how can I get better? <laughs> I would spend a lot of time being like, I am the best and my <laughs> team continuously fails me. And I really wish that that would change. And that speaks to why I'm not the best at anything because I would just be resting on my laurels and I would be totally fine just living out my days thinking that I was the best. And he was like, somehow Connor McDavid has imposter syndrome and it continues to get better. It's going to be great when we're like, Oh, this season was like once in a lifetime. And then next season he does it again. And we're all yeah, like, right. God, yeah. Jesus. He's like, Oh, you thought uh 150 was good. How about 200? Like, yeah. How about next year? I'm going to win this Selkie while I'm at it. Cause this summer yeah. I'm going to improve my defensive play or whatever the heck he decides he wants to do. I don't even know, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the chase for 72. I think that would be incredible. Um, he's the talk of the town, um, where I lived, like we're from the same town. So I would like, imagine he, he would always be the talk of the town. <laughs> yeah. And like watching this man play summer hockey is wild because he will try things in summer hockey that he will never, ever try in an NHL game. Yeah. That's gotta be. And cool. then you're just sitting there and you're like, like, are you kidding? Did you, 
that 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 is a regular person. That person's like an accountant or something. And and he just does things that he would never do in an NHL game. And so you get to really see just like how ridiculous he is. And the gap, like the gap between him and like the average NHL player is already pretty wide. Yeah. The gap between him and guys who are like, this is a competitive league. Like Josh Hosang plays in this league. Sam Bennett plays in this league. Like we're talking about, like it's a pretty good league. You had to have played junior hockey to play in the league. And he just like shreds guys. Yeah. (laughs) It's just wild. I I talk about that a lot too, where it's like, it it does take a frame of reference to understand how good all of these guys are. Like even the worst NHL player, fringe NHL players, you drop them into like a beer league or, or like just any sort of recreational league. And they're going to dominate pretty much everybody in that league. And you mentioned like the gap between Connor McDavid and even the, the middle of the pack NHL guy, not, not like bottom tier, not fringe middle of the pack. The gap between Connor McDavid and that, is gigantic and like even Connor McDavid and like the second best player in the NHL, like is pretty, pretty wide significant. Right now. Yeah, pretty <laughs> significant. So uh, I cannot imagine him playing against like fringe guys or lower level guys. Like, and even like at 50%, it's probably miles better than them. There was like one time he, first of all, his team was losing and I'm like, not even sure how but then you could just tell he was like yeah you know what i've had enough and he decided he does that he in was the nhl gonna go like, full full send down that's the one of my that's one of my most favorite things that that can happen in the nhl is to like see the oilers go down four two in a game like in the middle of the second period and then you see it like you see the the, the flip the switch flipped and you're like Oh, okay. Connor's just going to take over this game and he's going to single-handedly tie the game by himself. That is so hard to do. And he does it in the NHL and he does it in like the playoffs. Like it's crazy. And it's the most fun thing thing to watch happen in real time. I wasn't there, but I heard about it because my friend uh, was playing him. They dared him to play right-handed. Really? (laughs) In a game. And he still scored five. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I'm like, a, you have to be kidding. Like, this freak. guy is ridiculous. You could literally hand him a right-handed stick and he'd still play hockey better than 99% of the people on the earth. And that is absolutely wild to me. I just, yeah, I don't get it. But this has been super fun. Um, plug yourself. What are you working on? Where can people find you? I mean, we talked about TikTok. You can go find Pete's very entertaining TikTok. Yeah, leave but... me leave mean comments on my TikTok. Go ahead and fit in with the crowd. Uh, no, yeah, you can find me on TikTok if you want. But like, uh, I, most of my writing is on ballysports.com. Uh, also, my t- TV stuff, video stuff is over there. Um, Twitter, I like I share like my best work on Twitter. So if you just want like the aggregation, follow me on Twitter, Pete Pete Blackburn, just my name. And yeah, I guess that's it. Follow me on Instagram if you want to. Pictures of my yeah, dogs. Yeah, like Insta famous. I wouldn't say that, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Instagram has always confused me, and I'm trying to figure it out. But I've got the blue check mark. Give me a follow on Instagram. All right. Thanks to Pete Blackburn for joining us. We will be back later this week with another episode of the Staffing Graph Podcast. <laughs>